Well, hello, everybody. Good morning. My name is Amy. I am not Brent. I have this awesome sinus thing, so you get to deal with this for the next 25 minutes. I apologize. Um, I normally don't um, sound so nasal, so I'm sorry. Um, But Brent is not here this week. He is um, taking some time off, which is awesome. He deserves it. Um, So I get to be up here with you. Um, Like I said, my name is Amy. And I get to serve on the board here at Eastlake at Oversight Over Kids. And I have a husband and two kiddos and a couple dogs. And um, I don't know. I don't have anything else that's interesting about me. So that's pretty much. I'm, I'm here. Um, and um, we are in a series, our last week on this series on minimalism. And when Brent called me and asked, to, asked me to speak, I was in the middle of doing laundry. Um, but I don't know about many of you, but I passionately, soulishly hate laundry. I'm terrible at laundry. I'm very, very good at washing it. I'm sorry, I'm good at wearing it, right? Good at washing it, good at drying it. And then I do this really smart thing. I take it and I pick up a big old ball of it and I bring it to a guest bedroom and I plop it on the guest bedroom with good intentions. Um, But some children's clothing has been known to be grown out of before it actually makes its way off the bed back into the children's closet so they can actually wear it. I stink. I stink at laundry. And so I'm in the middle of my This Is Us episode and Brent calls and I answer and I'm literally being mounded in this Everest-sized laundry mound and he asked if I would speak on minimalism. Like it was, (laughs) the irony was so palpable. It was painful. So I I don't know. I laughed. I told him, you know, I had to confess what was going on at this moment. I have zero leg to stand on in front of these people and talk about minimalism, but, um, but I was happy to, cause it would give him a good week off. <laughs> and, um, and then in turn two, uh, I think the, the beautiful thing about any of us that speak on a Sunday at Eastlake or anywhere is that we get to, we get to work on this. Like as we prepped on this, it's something that I, am, I have really no right to be talking to you about, but I, I pray and I hope that God has given me some good insight that I can share with you guys and that we all can grow from it, right? Um, so um, I have, I, I turned off that, like I said, I turned off that This Is Us episode or some actual good television and I turned on, everybody's heard of her, she's a big deal right now, we've been talking about her for the last couple of weeks, uh, Marie Kondo's show on Tidying Up. And it, it was good, it was, it's great, but I, I have been, um, I've had kind of a little bit of history with Marie. Um, she is not new on the scene, if you guys didn't know this. Like, she, she has had a book out there called um, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, and I double-checked my library records. I have borrowed it three times. How many times have I read it? Uh, portions of the first chapter three times. I genuinely, soulishly have a hard time with this black and, these black and white words that she has out on this page and how you too can live like this perfection. And it's, it's hard for me. I'd get frustrated. Don't tell my librarians I may have thrown the book a time or two um, because I, I just genuinely have a hard, hard time with this idealistic perfection. Um, and I, I do want to give a caveat to this, this lovely lady. She is J- Japanese. She's from t- Japan. And Japan is notoriously a simplified, clean, minimalistic country, right? And I'm from America. 
And I am an 80s baby too. So I like, I love it. I like it. I want it all. I've had 35 years of being saturated with good consumerism. Um, and I um, struggle a little bit with this whole idea of minimalism and simplifying. And if you guys are going for it, more power to you. And if you want to donate to our awesome um, event coming up, yes, that's wonderful. Simplifying can be really good. I do appreciate a good house clean. I do appreciate a good deep clean. I love buying things that are needs versus just wants. It brings peace. But at the same time, I think it's okay to know that um, I'm not going to be condoing my home anytime soon. You might not be either. And if this series doesn't 100% sit right in your soul, it's okay. There's nothing wrong with you. It's not just your personality type. It, it doesn't always feel right to, to simplify and find contentment. It's not necessarily our nature. So much so that it's, it's a cultural thing. It's not just an American cultural thing. It's a cultural thing. It's a historical thing. It's a humanity thing. Last week, Brent talked about 1 Timothy 6.6. 6. He said, godliness with contentment is great gain. And I kind of want to dive into the historical context of that scripture. I, um, I get the opportunity to homeschool my kids. And growing up, I thought geography and history were so boring. And I absolutely love it so terribly much now. It's like our family's favorite subject. Um, subjects. Uh, and so when I share this with you, partially it's kind of selfish because I really, I think it's so fun to know the context of what's going on. Um, and just because I'm, I'm, I'm now a geek in uh, a geek, a geek for history and um, geography. But Paul wrote this book uh, to Timothy. Um, he wrote the first, the book of First Timothy to a guy named Timothy. Timothy was a young leader in the church at this time. Paul was um, uh, an evangelist or like a leader who really started the beginning of the church. The early, the church that we know now, was transformed and spread all around. Um, the Mediterranean Sea, and he started so many churches because of his 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 love and his um, passion for for reaching people with the love of God. Paul was one of the greatest forces for spreading the gospel of the early church. Um, and at this time, it was not popular to be a Christian. Uh, the The Roman Empire had um, power over all of Southern Europe, Northern Africa, and then part of like the Holy Lands or Eastern Asia. And Emperor Nero was killing Christians just almost for sport at times, just desperately wanted this Christian world to be removed, the, all these Christians to be removed. And yet Paul was developing leaders and transforming lives and seeing people and little churches pop up all around the Mediterranean throughout the Roman Empire. Um, and during this time, people lived much differently than us. People around the whole wide world live a lot differently than a typical Tri-Cities household. Have you ever driven by some of the houses that you're like, holy Bertoli, that's like 8,000 square feet, and I pity the fool who has to clean that. It is painful, those big, big homes. We have so much square footage. It's even different than if we were to like live in Seattle or New York, right? We would have a lot less space. But years and years ago, back in the time of Paul in 64 AD, they lived much differently than us. Um, sometimes people would live up in a, in a cave, just have like cave cave style life, life living. But if they lived down in the city, they probably had a little house made of bricks. These bricks were made of clay and straw, and they'd have a small little um, brick building with a flat roof. 
maybe a little bit of an angle so that water, when it rained, they could drop down into a cistern. The walls were often open so that you could get some airflow on hot days. Maybe, um, and then in the center, often there'd be like a courtyard. In this courtyard, that's where you would have your meals because you'd barbecue every day. And um, your animals would be living out there and you'd have this like communal living. The other thing that's interesting to me is a lot of families um, here in America will have one or two generations living in a house, right? Sometimes we're like, wow, your parents live with you? That's awesome. At this time, everybody had two, three, four generations. Maybe if great aunt Sally's husband passed away, she would come and live with you. You guys could have extended family and everybody is together in this one small house building with a little bit of courtyard. There is zero privacy. There are no walls. If you're lucky and you're really wealthy, you might have a mat that you would roll out to sleep on. Um, there'd probably be like two totes or containers or what I would call hope chests, right? And in those hope chests, you might have your tools and your utensils for cooking and, and, and such, and then maybe some, a, a, to, a chest for everybody's clothing. That's it. Simplified life. This is a home that maybe even like a Marie Kondo would want to go on a shopping spree at Target for, right? They, it is a different kind of living than here in America. And I don't know about you, but I know that there are some people in this room that have little homes on wheels that they take camping, let alone if you camp like my husband and I do, we, um, we go roughing it, right, at the nice campsite with bathrooms and everything just a few minutes away, and then we bring our totes filled with kitchen supplies and gobs and gobs of food and a cooler with all of our food. Oh, and P.S., my husband and I sleep on a queen-size air mattress, and we don't use, um, we bring our sheets and our comforter and our comfy pillows, <laughs> and we have bikes and games, and well, I don't know, everything you can imagine, right? And we go camping for how many days? Two days, right? <laughs> this is like the American world of camping, and it is so different than the culture back in 64 AD. It's so different than a lot of people in the world live, and yet still, Paul wrote to Timothy and to that early church, they needed that they needed this scripture. They needed to hear that godliness with contentment is great gain. They still needed to understand that it isn't just about the wealth and the stuff and the comfort, but it's about Jesus. First Timothy 6, 6 through 10 says in a different version, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world and we can take nothing with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. This verse applied to the early church in AD 64. It applies to us in 2019. God's word, it, Hebrews tells us that God's word is living and it's active. It applies to Jesus, it applies to us, and it applies all the way back. If we went way, way, way back, it would even apply to the people on the scene at the beginning of this great adventure. When we look at Adam and Eve, we see a story in Genesis of two people who lived in heaven on earth, literally. They lived in the most lush, lovely garden you could ever imagine. All of creation got along. The weather was perfect. The fruit was fresh and delicious. They walked with God in the cool of the evening. I love that image. They walked with God in the cool of the evening. They had everything they could want or need. There's just one rule. They weren't supposed to eat of one tree. And even though they had everything, Eve started focusing on what she didn't have. 
The serpent tempted Eve. She ate the fruit. She gave it to her husband, and he ate the fruit. And then they had everything they could ever want. They were filled with wisdom. Their eyes were open, and they were satisfied and happy and content, and the world was made right. Nope. Sadly, the exact opposite. The Bible says their eyes were open, and suddenly they felt shame. Suddenly they felt shame. This reminds me of my little boy, Grady. Um, my son loves, loved, loved D.E.D., loved to run around naked. When he was a little one, he would wake up as a toddler, and he would toddle out of his bedroom early, early in the morning, right as the sun is rising, and he would get a chair, and he'd pull it over to the front door, and he would unlatch the front door. Every mom in here is having a little mild heart attack, just like I did the first time it happened. Unlock the front door, and then walk outside, stand on the front porch, unzip his jammies, take off his diaper, and just stand in the sun. <laughs> and the first time it happened, it scared me. But soon it became this beautiful ritual for us that I would hear him toddle out of his room. I would grab a pair of fresh clothes for him. He'd make his way out, get outside, and in the sun, he would just let the sun bask on him in these warm spring mornings. And it became, honestly, some of my favorite moments as a mom, some of that, like, like oh, wonderful types of worship for me where the sunrise and the silence and the birds chirping and the squishy little toddler's giggles and cuddles on my lap were like the best thing ever. And I think about my kiddo, my little boy who loved to be naked <laughs> and loved to run, run around naked at that time and how much joy it brought him, how, much, how many giggles and how much life and how just unashamed he was. And I think that that's kind of an idea or an image of what Adam and Eve had. They lived in perfection, in harmony, in beauty, in simplicity, in peace. Every single thing got along. I can't even truly fathom it, but I can see little glimpses in a toddler's eyes when they're giggling and they're laughing and they are unashamed. They have a care in the world. And I think that's kind of what Adam and Eve had. And sadly, a tiny little seed of discontentment snuck in and gave them this desire for something else, gave Eve this desire for something different. And then they traded it. They traded it for discontent. They traded that and sadly came with it discontent or came consequences. From that, there was the removal from the garden, pain and work for, uh, and pain and childbearing, and the earth and nature would fight against itself. If you guys have ever walked outside in any sort of like non-super grassy area and stepped on a goat head, you know that that is not of God, right? That is not going to be in heaven. Goat heads are not intended for earth. They hurt. They are weeds. They are thorns. This, um, hate, this, this fighting of earth and nature came from the fall. And so often we can trade our lives, our beauty, the simplicity or the moment that we're in for this idea that the grass is greener because we desperately want to be seen as valuable and as important and as if we're making a difference. And sometimes we can fill ourselves so full of obviously negative things that are, you know, we know that they're not good for us, but then sometimes we fill ourselves and our lives jam-packed full of good things. But not always good things, too much of a good thing can actually be a bad thing. Did you know it's actually physically pos possible to drown yourself in, like, you can have too much water? You can drink too much water so that you can 
get super sick and even potentially die. Now, I need to drink more water, so please, if you're in my boat, drink more water. I'm not saying don't drink water. But the, the gist is, is too much of a good thing can even be bad for us at times. We pack our lives brimming full of stuff, of activities, of work, of school, of friends, relationships, sports, and busyness. In this desperate attempt to be seen by the people of this world, rather than by the one who always sees us, God. Because he sees us. He knows us. He loves us exactly as we are. He loves you exactly as you are. Without the new shoes or the perfectly staged house, without the duck pal Insta photo, without, without the stuff. With, guys, he loves you. He's proud of you, period. Not by for what you do, not how well you provide, not the size of your bank account or the size of your truck engine. He is crazy about you, just you, period, you. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 says, so we're not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside, it often looks like things are falling apart on us, on the inside, where God is making life new, not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. These hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times, the lavish celebration prepared for us. There's far more here than meets the eye. The things we see now are here today, gone tomorrow, but the things we can't see now will last forever. In a little bit, we're going to have communion. And I love when we get to have communion together because we get to look back at what Christ did on the cross and his resurrection. We get to look around at people, the people that we're doing life with. And we get to look forward to this promise and this future of a redemptive future and hope for eternity with Christ. The things we see now will last, I'm sorry, but the things we can't see now will last forever. See, as we take the focus off the things of this world and we place the focus on Jesus, our perspective begins to change. We're able to hear truth and see it with an eternal perspective to bring bits of heaven here on earth. Um, one of my girlfriends owns Hope Outfitters, and it's an awesome organization. They create cute shirts and stuff. It's on the other side of the uptown, actually. And they do something kind of similar to what we do. We give generously to a different organization each month. They give generously. All of their proceeds go to different organizations. If it's charity water or um, helping people or helping kids with medical issues or whatever it might be. Um, and she posted a post, and then I reposted the post. And I think some of you guys have reposted that post since. But it says, girl, read your Bible. You can eat all the kale, buy all the things, lift all the weights, take all the trips, trash all that doesn't spark joy. Wash your face and hustle like mad, but if you don't rest your soul in Jesus, you'll never find peace and purpose. If you don't rest your soul in Jesus, you'll never find peace and purpose. Here's the pro-con of having a girl speak. Um, I just can't veer away from all these good girl quotes. So ladies, you're welcome. Guys, I'm sorry. I promise Brent will be back next week. He's more funny, way smarter. Promise he's coming back. But even with all of that, the truth remains. You can do all the things, buy all the stuff, see all the things, move, clean the house, get a new relationship, do, 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 do until you are exhausted. But you'll never find that soul peace, that soul rest, and that soul purpose until you focus on Jesus. We need to rest in him. Instead of focusing on ourselves, we focus on the one who made us. Back in the beginning when God created, he, he created 
heavens and the earth. He made everything and he did it all in six days. And, he, or, and one whole seventh portion of his time that he spent creating. He didn't need it, but he used it for rest. He said the seventh day he rested. I think God doesn't necessarily, I mean, he created everything. So I think he might not necessarily need rest, but I think that he created us in his image enough to know that we need that desire, have a desire for rest, to pause, to breathe, to be at, to be at peace, to, to rest, to see God's goodness and, and slow down. Because if we don't build in rest into our lives, if we don't build in a moment to pause, we're going to run ourselves ragged searching for the approval of others. I have a couple girlfriends who really, really do a good job at this. And um, they often joke that a lot of their friends will go to church and then they'll leave for Costco, which is maybe the most unrestful place in all of Tri-Cities, right? And they have their days so packed full. And they choose to take a whole day off as a family. They choose to do simple things like read a book and go to the beach or go down to the river on a sunny day play games, to relax, and they just, they, they are sacred about it. They, they make it sacred, they make it special. One of my girlfriends is a photographer, I'm a photographer too, and she, she will, she's actually given me photo shoots from Saturdays, from her Saturdays that she takes off, because she does not do anything on Saturdays, and I so admire that. I'd love to do that, I want more of that in my life. It is hard to take a whole day off, and I think God did this on purpose because he knows us. It's hard, but it's good, and it is what, what is good for us. Um, rest is tough. It's countercultural, but it also allows us the ability to slow down and listen, to listen to each other, and if we're willing, to listen to God. Um, my family has three birthdays in about one week. Uh, uh, January 10th, I have a birthday. My daughter's the 11th. And then my husband is the 18th. And so this year, in between that birthday week, we went to Leavenworth. And normally when my family goes to Leavenworth, we just go for 24 hours. We eat and drink like a German. We hit the toy shop. We hit the hat shop. And then we head home. Um, But this year, we did things a little bit differently. We played games. We sledded. We hot tubbed. We sat by the fire, we read books, and my girlfriend encouraged us to go cross-country skiing. We went, oh, the reason why things are so different is because we went with this other family. And they're like, we're going to go cross-country skiing. You want to go with us? It's so peaceful. It's so relaxing. It's so beautiful. You guys hear where I'm going with this? Uh Uh-huh. You can feel it. Um, And I thought, yeah, cross-country skiing, it makes probably walking on ice look easy. You just are just sliding. It's the easiest thing ever. It's going to be wonderful. So my husband and I get our skis. We get everything ready. We look at each other, have this like moment of gaze. Oh, he looks over and he's like, I think this is going to be a new family tradition. I'm really excited. Uh Uh-huh. Dun, dun, dun. The kids got ready like a good mama. I got, my husband got all ready to go and I got the kids snapped in and ready to go. And then I, you know, selflessly went last and everybody takes off and they're going for it all these, my friend's family and my family, and I get snapped in, and within like four feet, I think my skis are five feet long, within four feet, I fall on my tail. And then I fall again, and then I fall again, and we are laughing so hard because I cannot get up, I cannot move my body, I am like falling face first into the ice, I'm falling way on my back. I am just destroyed. My husband is laughing hysterically, almost to tears. I think I have a photo of it because it's epically painful. 
how trashed I look. And the next photo is a good close-up, you guys. The mascara here, the sweat and the ice. It was just so painful. And you know what? We can get rid of that now. Thank you so much. But seriously, thank you. <laughs> um, um, that was after only a few falls. It got worse and worse and worse. And my kids and my friends would be up in front of me and I'd be like, yay, I'm going to catch up to them. And I'd see that six-year-old ahead of me killing it. And I'd race up to, try to race up to him and then I'd fall. And then a friend would come and ski next to me and I'd look over and start talking to him because that's what you do and then I would fall. And then we'd go down a slope and I would fall and we'd go up a hill and I would fall and I am so bruised to this day. I think I ruined my shoulder. I'm just destroyed from this cross-country skiing, relaxing environment, right? It's so beautiful and peaceful. No, it was not for me. Everybody else had a blast. It was fun. Um, but here's the deal, guys. I, I kept looking at the kids in front of me or the adults in front of me and I didn't want to inconvenience them. So I would just hurry. I'd rush. And I don't know if you've ever been on any sort of ice, if you are on um, skates or on skis or anything. If you try to aggress ice and you try to power through ice, you will fail. Ice wins every single time. When you fall, ice wins. Your head hurts. <laughs> um, and I, the more I would try, the more I'd see and compare myself to my family and my friends far ahead of me, I would push harder and I would go faster and I would hurt myself each and every time. And not until I actually slowed down, I took a breath, I got in the right position, I listened to the skis and listen to the situation and kind of took a moment to focus that I actually stopped falling on my face, bruising myself and giving myself mild concussions. <laughs> um, and I think comparison can do this for us. Maybe, hopefully, it's not quite as painful and you don't get as many bruises when you compare yourself to others. But I do believe that comparison is like poison to the soul. We perpetuate our discontentment by trying to keep up with others. Our eyes are focused on the wrong thing. Nothing brings discontentment, anxiety, and a lack of peace faster than a good 10 minutes on Instagram. <laughs> my husband gave me the Joanna Gaines design book for my birthday, and I joke that I love to hate her. I don't actually hate her. I, I admire her. She's lovely. But going through her pages of perfection and just this simple, beautiful, beautiful, glorious life is like a real struggle for me. It's a real, true struggle and if it's cross-country skiing and comparing yourself to six-year-olds, or if it's Instagram, or if it's your neighbor who just got a boat, or if it's that friend who has a beautifully designed house, or if it's that friend who's doing those great workouts, or um, that promotion, or that neighbor, or that whatever it might be for you and for me, unbridled contentment will always bring, discont will always bring discontentment. I'm sorry, unbridled comparison Unbridled comparison will always bring discontentment. We need, we feed this excess in our lives for moments of little joy and we never fully satisfy the whole person. The stuff, the busyness, the likes, even the simplicity from sparking joy and minimizing won't bring a lasting peace. Matthew 22 tells us that the, most, the two most important commandments are to love God Love God with your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And the second is to love people as yourself. Out of everything, out of that thick old Bible, love God and love people. To find a simpler, fulfilled, peace-filled, joy-filled life, focus on God, 
Love him and listen to him. Let him speak truth to you and about you. And from the overflow of our heart, from the overflow of that heart, love his people well. When you let God speak truth to you and about you, you can love people well from the overflow of your heart. Jesus explained the right things have to die so that the right things can live. We die to selfishness and greed, to power, accumulation, prestige, self-preservation, so that we can give life to community, generosity, compassion, mercy, brotherhood, kindness, and love. The gospel will die in the toxic soil of self. If you want to see something grow, you feed it. If you want to see something grow, you're going to feed it. Um, my cousin gave me a sourdough starter, and every couple days I feed my sourdough with uh, flour and water. I mix it up, and I can make bread, and I leave it in the fridge, and that active, cult, those active cultures need the, the, sh- the flour and the water to continue to grow. If you want to feed, if you want to see something grow, you feed it. To grow a garden, you, you give them water and sunlight and good soil. To grow a strong business, you give it attention and sound business practices and marketing, good marketing skills. Grow anxiety with worry, strife, and stress. Grow peace with thankfulness, joy, and kindness. You will become what you think about. We're in the battle of the mind. What are you going to feed your thoughts and your time with? As we take the focus off ourselves and we can place it on Jesus, we'll learn to hear him, to know him, and to follow him, and then to love like he does. Here's the deal, guys. It starts with him. We can be kind and we can love, but real, fulfilling, selfless, rejuvenating, soul-reviving, life-giving love of others comes when it overflows from the fulfillment we have in our relationship with God. Might I dare say that that marriage that is unfulfilling and that friendship that is so painful and those kids that are disappointing, that boss who is irritating, those parents who are a struggle, may be easier to love if you went to the source that gave life and life to the fullest. Now, I I do want to say there is a caveat because sometimes loving somebody who's toxic for us means we don't ever talk to him again, and that's okay. But I do think that we can love people better. I do believe we can love people better, and whatever that might look like, healthy for you doesn't mean that um, you're, you're living in an unhealthy situation, but we can love people better if we're getting our source from God first. In our world so focused on me, where everyone's talking about their relative truth, you hear sayings all the time like, you do you. And decide what your truth is and then live it. What if we took the focus off ourselves, off our relative truth and our focus and ourself, and we placed it on God, period? In turn, we could love everyone better. We cannot carry the gospel to the poor and lowly while emulating the practices of the rich and powerful. We've been invited into a story that begins with humility and ends with glory, never the other way around. I gotta read that again. We cannot carry the gospel to the poor and lowly while emulating the practices of the rich and powerful. We've been invited into a story that begins with humility and ends with glory, never the other way around. 
So you're sitting there going, okay, Amy, thanks a lot. Uh, live a life like a WWJD life. What would Jesus do? That is so 10 years ago. I don't feel like anything's tangible here. And this doesn't, this is a lot to swallow. Okay, well, I think I have some good, simple, easy, life-changing practices for us to live with godliness and contentment. So choose thankfulness. Choose thankfulness. In the midst of your longing for more, in the midst of discontentment, comparison, irritation, annoyance, and that ache that we get in life, that pain that we face, the anger, the hurt, the resentment, the loneliness, find something to say that you're thankful for. Stop and say thank you. Talk to God and say thank you. This is one of the ways that we can choose, choose thankfulness is one of the ways that we can live a life that godliness with contentment is great gain. I have, um, my husband and I um, used to live in Bremerton and we kept the houses that we purchased over there, kept one of them and we rented out. And at one point I had, we had some tenants that were um, tricky for, for me. I always want to be a really good landlord but living super far away, there's some things, well, some things you just can't fix, right? Like um, a washer dryer knob broke at three o'clock in the morning. And I don't know anybody who's going to be able to fix that at three in the morning, let alone somebody who lives four hours away. So I'd get these phone calls and these text messages and um, it would, it was hard for me. I would, I would want to try to do something. I'd want to try to fix it. And I'd let this guilt and this pressure and this anxiety like weigh on me. I'd have dreams about it. I'd get stressed out about it because I was feeding it. I was thinking about it and focusing on it and feeding this stress and this angst. And um, one day she wasn't the nicest in some texts. And I was like, God, I don't know what to do. Help me. And in that moment, he said, um, pray for her. And I was like, <laughs> okay. So I, I did. I stopped. I started thanking God for them. Um, I started praying for them and their relationship and their new baby. I may have been praying also that they would want to move soon, but my focus shift, my focus shifted. As I was moving from being anxious and frustrated and stressed, I shifted to praying for them and thinking about them, and I was able to be at peace in that situation. Um, my little family has um, this little journal, this little book that we pull out sometimes during a meal or something, and We'll write stories in it, stories that are funny, stories and good memories, thankful comments, thankful quotes, things we'll write, just lists of things that we're thankful for, because we, we want to pause and choose to be thankful and to find the goodness, and I want to cultivate this practice with my kids. And so we'll write these things down, and then we'll flip back and look at them and read them again later, because it's so neat to see answered prayer. It's so neat to see how cool God is working in our lives and how and how, um, how thankfulness breeds more thankfulness. It brings, breeds contentment, and it brings peace. Um, a guy named Aaron Nyquist started a church. Well, actually, he's part of a church, and he started a service called The Practice at a large church in the Midwest. And um, he also wrote a book called The Eternal Current. It's how practice-based faith can save us from drowning, he talks about making habits and practices in our everyday life that connect us with God rather than riding the roller coaster of many typical evangelical church highs and lows. Because see, here's the deal. God is steady. His love is unconditional and never failing. 
And so they add this practice into their service, into their a little bit more liturgical style service. And it's called breath prayer. This is actually something that is a, a super um, secular practice. It's part of meditation. Lots of people do this, but we can transition and, and do it for ourselves and have it be focused on God rather than just self, right? So they will do this. It's called a, um, a, a breath prayer. And you breathe in an attribute of God and then you breathe out the opposite. So you would breathe in peace and exhale anxiety. You'd breathe in patience and exhale anger and frustration. You'd breathe in godliness's contentment and breathe out excess. And this is another way that we can live this life. We can practice daily little simple things of living with godliness is contentment. We can live a simpler, more content life by choosing thankfulness and prayer. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I don't think I can ever speak and not have this Bible verse in there because I think so often our minds take hold and we let them run rampant. And we, we let them, we feed these thoughts where really it's as quick and as simple as taking a moment to breathe in peace and to exhale anxiety. And not only is it good for our mind, but it's good for our whole body. Um, I have an Apple Watch and there's like a little breathe ping. It just was pinging me a few minutes ago. Like, shh, stop it. Um, but it tells me to breathe, right? Every little bit you need to breathe. You need to stand up. It, our bodies need moments to... Get good oxygen-rich air into our blood and our bloodstream so that we can breathe and be at peace, so we can think better, so we can act better, so our bodies function better. And this practice, not only speaking the words, but physically the breath is good for our soul. In order for us to have godliness and with contentment, we gotta sit with God, we gotta listen to his voice, we gotta hear him. Let him speak truth to you and about you. And from the overflow of your heart, you can love his people well. If we pause the negative talk and we transition to thankful talk, your heart will change. Will you be perfect? Nope. But you'll be listening to the one who is. If you spend your days looking for blessings, here's the magic. You'll find them. Will you pray with me? God, I pray that you will help us find moments today to choose thankfulness to talk to you, to breathe, to search for the blessings and search for the good. In your name, amen.